Welcome to another episode of the Farcast, bringing you experts and insiders on Washington, Wall Street, and the world. And now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. It is the 23rd day, 23rd day of March. March came in like a bear. It's not really going out like a bull, but it ain't all bad here, folks. Jay Powell gave his uh, decision yesterday for the Federal Reserve's Open Market Committee, plus one quarter of a percent, as we predicted a week ago on the forecast, uh, actually, and said, look, Jay Powell's going to look up in a week and say, I've still got inflation I've still got inflation. I got a banking thing going on, but I've still got inflation and I still want to try and whip it. So whip inflation now. You remember we had our win buttons. I know Kenny remembers our win button because uh, <laughs> Kenny's older than I am. And in fact, Kenny has a birthday in about four days. <laughs> Kenny has a birthday in four days. And I don't, by the way, and I don't. So the much older Kenny Polkart <laughs> is on the line joining us this week from Case Capital Advisors. Uh, we saw a couple of interesting things yesterday. Uh, the Federal Reserve changed their tone in their notes and said uh, they backed off from the, from the stringent number of increases. And basically, they sort of uh, generally explained in a vague way that this banking crisis means that all those regional banks are going to tighten their lending standards because they want to protect their balance sheets. And if they're not lending as much, then the Fed doesn't have to be as aggressive because the whole point of raising rates is to make money less available and to that's how they were going to tame inflation. So, so regional banks are doing it and, and we're going to wait and see a little bit, maybe another quarter point hike. Wells Fargo thinks it's coming up in May and then they go quiet. We'll see what happens. Kenny thinks it's going to be a while longer than that. We'll ask him in a second. And then uh, Janet Yellen, she was giving some testimony on Capitol Hill, and she said, we're not going to back all deposits at every institution. Uh, that was a big deal. And that seemed to be the match that uh, sent markets uh, flames lower yesterday uh, with the Dow down over 500 points, still only a percent and some odd. Futures are up this morning, but a couple of other things very interesting. The dollar is falling, and the dollar is falling big. Uh, oil is falling. Now, uh, if you if you tell me that the dollar's falling, the first thing I'm going to tell you is commodity prices are going up. Commodity prices are going up. So a dollar falls, commodity prices go higher because it takes more of those weaker dollars to buy the same ounce of gold or the same barrel of oil. But barrel of oil is falling. Why? We heard on CNBC this morning, the chief head of commodities oil or whatever this guy was, I've seen him for years. This guy is uh, I thought he was the old guy from David Letterman, actually. Uh, what the hell was that guy's name, Harry? That's something you should know uh, uh, from David Letterman. Anyway, uh, he was on and he said, there's actually, they're adding the reserves. They're adding reserves over a million barrels, I mean, you know, and, and adding. So we're not having the big China research. We're not having the big drawdown and supply is exceeding demand and oil because we're not having this big surge. Things are shrinking. Who was he, Harry? Larry Bud Melman. Larry Bud Melman, that's what this guy looked like. On uh, yeah, yeah. I, honestly, God, I've seen him for years, and he's really good. He's really smart, Kernan. He attention, did well. people of New York. Yes, I am Larry Bud Melman, and I am not wearing pants. Perfect. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, please, we're hoping Harry's wearing pants, but I don't want to know. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Kenny Polcari from Case Capital Advisors, our great friend, uh, a great older friend, the voice of the New York Stock Exchange. Kenny, welcome. What did you make of all of uh, this? Well, let me just qualify two things. I am wearing pants, just so you know, and my birthday's six days away, not four. Just so you get it straight and I get my happy birthday on the proper day. All those cards and letters go to Kenny Polcari. <laughs> and we've got a week left in the first quarter of this year, a week left in the first quarter. That's so it's it. all, uh, we're getting ready to have a print coming up here. So listen, I think you hit everything right on spot on, right? Jay Powell came out. He did exactly as the markets expected. And actually, when he first started talking, we saw the markets rally, right? The, the Dow was up over 270. The S&P was up over 1%. The NASDAQ rallied. Um, as he was saying that he raised rates 25 base points, he, he took rate cuts off the table. He said it is not in our base case, but he left the door open to a pause, which I think, right, a pause, not a pivot, but a pause. So I think all that worked well. When he started talking about taking the rate cuts, the market got a little bit antsy about that because, as you know, Fed Fund futures are pricing in three rate cuts by the end of this year, which I do not see at all. Yet, that's what the futures are pricing in. But he said rate cuts are not part of his base case. So the market's got kind of a little bit you know, antsy about that. But I don't think it was anything really big because I think um, there's lots of debate on that. I think 50% of the people think, ain't happening while well, the other said think it is so so we're at a standstill there i think the the flame and you said it that lit the fire was janet yellen who's yep. in front of the senate up on yep. capitol hill telling everybody oh no 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 we're not backstopping and suddenly boom and then you saw the regional banks which had rallied on the comments three days ago when she said they were backing stop everybody they were backstopping everybody and then they got slammed yesterday the minute she said she was an FRC down 15%. The KRE index, BKX index, both regional bank indexes down 5%. I mean, it was ridiculous. And then that just took the whole market down. But that just shows you, I think, the, the antsiness, right? The anxiety that remains over uh, lack of clarity. Well, look, Kenny, we're a country that doesn't like anybody anymore, okay? <laughs> this yeah. is a country who just doesn't like anybody, we want to figure out uh, who we can hate next. Right now, we hate the banking system. We know we hate Congress. Congress's approval rating is somewhere around 10% or 11%. Actually, there was a Tampa newspaper that did a poll, and a colonoscopy was more popular, more popular than the United States Congress. The news media is right there at about 12%. Um, so, uh, but we, we, we're looking, we don't want to like anybody and we don't like the banks now, but if you don't like the banks, let's say you don't like the banks and yeah. you're, you're, you, and, and, and this, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, to me makes absolutely no sense. Okay. Doesn't make any sense to me. Banking system is sound. Banking system is liquid. Banking system is as it's always been, though. There are always that group of people who say, wait a minute, they don't have all my money in there every minute. No, right. they don't. Go watch but it they never did. Life. That's the point. They, never, they did. never did. And if everybody wants all their money back from J.P. Morgan tomorrow, if every depositor tries to withdraw all the money from J.P. Morgan, J.P. Morgan's insolvent. It's That's a run right. on that bank. And J.P. Morgan will go on. You can't take all the money out of every bank. So if you're doing business with, I don't care, PNC or Truist or any of these regional banks, and 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 I do business with Truist, um, I'm not taking my money out of trust. Where am I going to put it? Where am I? What am I going to do with it? Put it in my mattress? Not at right. these interest rates. I'm making money on these damn deposits. This is right. Hard to have some right. So, what well, I don't understand 
why people are doing this. And 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 by the way, I don't understand why Janet Yellen should guarantee all deposits. Well, I don't think she should. No, no, I don't think she should either. But look, it was a it's a direct result of what you said. They, those venture capitalists, by the way, as that story unfolds, that's even getting that's even getting more infuriating. The whole Silicon Valley bank. What about story the Silicon unfolds. Valley officers who sold shares a couple of weeks before that? The loan amounts, how there was a very incestuous. I mean, it just gets uglier and uglier. But the point is, the way that those VCs created the hysteria, and again, like I said to you last week, all you need is your cell phone. And who was it? Somebody said it overnight. One regulator said it. Oh, uh, the CEO from Citibank said that the fact that people can move money that fast via their cell phone creates a whole different dynamic in the banking industry and causes now what we saw three weeks ago, this run on the bank. Because to your point, if everybody calls up and says, I want all my money today, there's not a single bank that has everybody's money on deposit, you know, just no, ready to none. hand over. And so, <clears throat> it's out in mortgages, never... it's out in loans, it's out doing those That's things right. that are so growing nothing, the economy. There's nothing new there. So this should not surprise anybody at all. But I have to tell you, and I'm in this camp, that these guys created this, they lit this fire, they created this chaos, and I think I think they should all. Every one of them should be investigated in terms of their position, what their trading accounts look like, who benefited from that chaos, uh, and who didn't, right? I, I think promise the SEC will go through everybody who sold significant number of shares of, of Silicon Valley Bank. They're going to go through every one of those. SEC, yeah, but, they will. But they, they do it every time. That's right, but they should go through the venture capital guys who also then raised you know, the temperature in the room and started sending out Twitter messages and email messages. and Federal it, banking regulators ought to go after those guys. That's a, Agreed. Look, that's a, you, when you, when, if you yell fire in the banking movie theater you go to jail uh, well you, and they should you instigate a, a run on a bank you go right. to jail and you should go to jail right uh, exactly suggest, right. suggest any lack of confidence there um uh, kenny the fed did exactly what i think they should have done the right fed, look when you're doing monetary policy it's like farming right right uh you 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 plow uh you plant your seeds you set up your sprinkler system and you wait Right. Uh, and we're still waiting for a lot of these seeds. And I think they need to wait because they've had the fastest, one of the fastest red hi uh, hiking rates uh, in history since the, since 1980. And so we've had this, you've got to see the consequences, but the consequences take time. You, you can't just, you can't just keep shoveling dirt uh, and, and think, and, and, you know, saying is my hole deep enough is my hole deep. You're going to be halfway to China if you keep that up. Okay, but I have to ask you a question because I, I I agree with everything you said. I think they should have raised rates. I agree with your analysis and your whole farming planting story. I agree with that. But here's my question and my frustration with this argument when they say, oh, my God, the Fed raised rates so quickly. They told us a year before they were going to raise rates that we're going to have to go that way. We all saw inflation spin out of control in 2021. Everyone kept saying, what is the Fed waiting for? What are they waiting for? What are they waiting for? They continued to stimulate through 21, and then they started to raise rates in 22, first slowly, and then a little bit more aggressively. But now inflation hasn't been where, where it is for 40 years. So when you say, oh, they raise it at the fastest rate in 40 years, yeah, that's because 40 years ago is when we had the same situation. We haven't had it in between. No, so, we just, everybody hates everybody now. Uh, Look, uh, you're never going to get this right. You know, my father uh, looks at me, uh, right. honest to God, my father does it to me every time. My father's 97, God bless him. But my father looks at me and he goes, 
your hair, first thing he'll say is your hair looks awful, go get a haircut. Then the next time he looks at me, he goes, ah, that's an awful haircut. You know, he'll say, hey, if you've been putting on weight, you should take off weight. I'll see him tell you, know, I'll lose a couple of pounds. He'll say, you look too skinny. You kind of look scrawny. Have you lost, why are you losing so much weight? You don't look good. I mean, it's never right. It's no, never, but, ever right. And but, but the Fed is doing the right thing. I don't care whether they're winning the popularity contest. At this point in the cycle, uh, they're doing the right thing. Okay, I agree with you. I will also say, though, that it's, you know, they are part of the problem because they waited way too long in yes. getting us here. Okay, okay so, so let's, they okay, dug the hole right. too deep. So now it's a question of what did people, because I said this in my note. Yes, I said it again today. People hear what they want to hear versus always. what is being said. It's always happened, right? Some people see the sun. Some people see the clouds. I actually saw the sun yesterday. I thought because he did the right thing. Did the I, right think thing. This, I think the sell-off in the market, you know, uh, you know, whether you want to blame it on part of what he said, you know, no rate cuts, whether you want to blame it on Jenny Yellen, doesn't make a difference. I view that as an opportunity because I actually think that the market is okay. I think it's volatile, but I think you need to be patient. Don't go chasing things. If you got money to put to work, you gonna if you're really nervous, put it in treasuries. That's let's fine. cut to the chase. Let's cut to the chase here. And the chase is that we're still waiting to see the effects of these Fed hike rates, correct? The rate hikes plus plus the tighter lending standards. And Wells Fargo is still saying recession in the third quarter, and they think that we could have several rate cuts in 2024. Says Wells Fargo. I actually right. could see that. I could see that they put the brakes, stamp the brakes on so hard. We'll figure it out within about a year. And that's about the right time, third quarter. Uh, right. You know, we've been joking that the recession's always six months away. Well, we're saying six months now. We'll see. But uh, so be very careful in here, folks. This is not an all clear that's sounding by any measure, okay? Uh, we still have rate hikes that are still, the impact hasn't been felt. You are seeing changes in employment. You're seeing changes in cost. Inflation is still running hot. It's going to come down. But- this takes time and everybody wants it to be over. You have to be patient. And for God's sakes, you have to be disciplined. Final word, Kenny. No, I think you're exactly right. And I don't think people should panic. And I think you need to know what you own. And like for me, and I said it again, I'm in, I'm overweight the big boring names because that's in a, if you want to be in the market, you need to have the exposure to the big boring names, not the ones that are flying all over the place, but the ones that are going to maintain stability through the chaos. And in chaos, there is opportunity. In chaos, there's opportunity. In Kenny, we trust, and we're going to trust him probably even more when he gets a little older next week. Uh, we're not going to be on the air for your birthday. So from all of us at the Farcast and all of our listeners and everybody who sends notes, from all of us, Kenny, happy birthday. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And it'll be your birthday pretty soon as well. So we'll reverse that. That we don't need to wishes. talk about that. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> when we come back, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. And in segment three today, the Jack, the Jack Perugian. Figure out what Jack's going to tell us, what he's doing with his money. He's been awfully insightful. Please stay with us. Thank you for joining us this week on the Farcast. Now it's time for political analyst Dan Mahaffey and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining me now as he does every week, God bless him and keep him, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, their senior policy analyst and our senior political analyst here on the Farcast, now in season six. Welcome back, Dan. 
Good morning, Michael. Great to be talking to you as always. Thank you. Thank you. Great, great to be talking with you. You saw Jay Powell yesterday and you heard Janet Yellen. And I mentioned to Kenny this morning, uh, we, nobody likes anything anymore in the United States. Uh, the the uh, uh, Congress is about has a popularity rating, approval rating, about a 10 or 11 percent. Uh, the uh, colonoscopies have a higher popularity rating than the United States Congress at this point. The uh, press is about 11 or 12 percent. Nobody likes anything. And now all of a sudden we don't like the banks. Banks are bad. I don't know why banks are bad. But Janet Yellen says she's not going to insure all your deposits anymore, anything above that 250, even though she did last week. What does this mean and what's going on, Dan? Uh, well, Michael, it's uh, what's the song? The Land of Confusion on Capitol yeah. Hill when it comes to some of this banking stuff. One, you have, I would say, frankly, inconsistent messaging by Secretary Yellen on what the backstops are, what the FDIC is doing, uh, how this is being handled. And bottom line up front, it is a question ultimately now hanging over Congress as well as these regulators. What, in fact, is the insurance backstop? Which banks does it apply to? Uh, and what is this a matter of the Fed saying that they are going to do something, even if they don't necessarily have congressional authority to do so? Or does Congress need to act? And that's another question, because the, the, there's not much agreement on banking reform beyond some limited things that were related to cannabis banking in the last cycle. So if they're going to come in and do anything on the uh, deposit limits, uh, we have to see what that is. And there's a lot of the, I know, uh, Patrick McHenry, the chairman of the uh, House Committee overseeing this, very reticent to act further. He's actually said he trusts the Fed and Yellen to, to handle this, which is surprising many on the Republican side, since he's always been considered a stalwart conservative, but he's saying he trusts the administration for now. Uh, so there's a reticence to move on the legislation. But again, we're not getting a clear answer on what exactly is covered. And this is not helping with the communication and certainty as people look, you know, particularly as we talk about on the show, Fred and Ethel, wondering what's covered in some of these medium and regional banks. Jay Powell yesterday pointed out in his testimony that the lending standards at community and regional banks was expected to tighten, meaning if you're a regional bank, even if you're a PNC or a Truist, which are two banks I happen to own, even if you're at that size bank, you uh, have to look at your balance sheets and look at your liquidity and look at everything else and say, I probably ought to make it a little bit safer which means I'm not going to lend as much money, which means I tighten my lending standards. And the whole point of the Fed increasing interest rates was to deter borrowing, which deters spending, which was feeding inflation. And if you can slow spending, you begin to tame inflation. So instead of the Fed having to raise as aggressively this tightening of bank lending standards as a result of the Silicon Valley failure, uh, is seeming to do the same thing. So lending standards get a little bit tighter here. It has slowed the Fed down, but this is a headwind to economic growth. Going back to Janet Yellen, though, Dan, I'm wondering uh, how they're going to handle this political football, because as soon as she says she's going to guarantee all the deposits, the Republicans are going to go crazy and say, see, we've now backstopped. They just backstopped every major bank in the country 
if the bank can't lose money, then the bank can take all the risk it wants. You see, that's why we have to have some limits on these guarantees. We've got to keep the banks behaving well. Uh, I'm not sure that there's a clear answer to this, but well, th that and go ahead. There, no, I think you're you're right. One, you you laid it out very well, and Chairman Powell laid out very well what will happen to these banks and lending. I don't think that is understood, though, by most of the members of Congress and their staff, except for those who do have experience in, in the financial sector, banking, or perhaps running a business. Um, but also politically, one, uh, banks and everything for a lot of these folks are going to be a good, uh, a good whipping boy. And on top of that, you have a, you have a lot of these members, I listened to their remarks, you can tell they don't understand the difference between shareholders, depositors, and bondholders, as they as they talk through some of this. The the confusion you know, Dan, around in that. In two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine, I spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill for CNBC, and I had members of Congress, both in the House and the Senate, literally exactly. grabbing me by the elbow, saying, uh, "Michael, can you can you explain this to me? Can you can you tell me what a credit default swap is? Look, I I know that there are many attempts, largely by lobbyists, trying to educate members of Congress on some of these more complex issues. Hey, members of Congress, I'm willing to come back. I'll come back. I can explain it simply, but this is stuff you need to understand. And so give me a call. I'm happy to come back and do it. They need to understand this and they but don't. You can tell right. that. But... They conflate all of those things and they do it inappropriately and it's wrong and they're going right. to get to the wrong conclusion. Exactly. It has been confusing, all of this uh, talk about the banking system, but make no mistake, the lending tight, uh, standards are, are tightening. That's a headwind to growth. Uh, we're not sounding the all clear yet. Also on Capitol Hill, Dan, we have Shozi uh, Chu. Shozi Chu. God bless me. I know. Thank you all very much. Gesundheit. Is the CEO, sorry, I can't help myself sometimes, folks is the CEO of TikTok. He's from Singapore, and he's going to testify in front of Congress today because we no longer like TikTok because uh, they've got a Chinese Communist Party member on the board of TikTok, and TikTok's very bad because it's uh, Chinese. Uh, everything Chinese is bad in Washington. Dan, what's going on? Well, look, we're finally having this chance to... There's all these TikTok bills, TikTok bans that have been mooted. We're going to have our chance to hear from the CEO, see what they say. He's previewed his comments trying to say that TikTok is a, a funny, happy corner of the internet, a, a ray of sunshine for its 150 million US users. But lawmakers have legitimate concerns about one, the data that goes back to China, how this app can be uh, used to spy on its users as well. Uh, then the second part being, what do its users see? How much time do they spend on there? How does the algorithm deliver what they see? Uh, you hear these stories of, uh, you know, there's been content on TikTok that's been anti-oil industry. Some will say anti-work, anti-employer content. Uh, TikTok being used by some to, to unionize. So there's a question of how does the algorithm determine uh, what you see? And look, the, uh, the overall reason we're having this conversation is yes, because TikTok is Chinese. It's owned by ByteDance. Uh, every Chinese company, state-owned or private sector, is now closer and closer to the Communist Party. And we can also never forget the Chinese uh, national security laws that compel 
any of their firms to cooperate on matters of intelligence uh, and handing over data. So that is the law in China. We cannot forget that no matter what the company is operating there. But TikTok is important because we're going to set precedents. And again, it's those two things we have to ask about all these apps we use in our life. What are they learning about us? Right. And why are they showing us what we see? Well, and the messaging, I mean, the real criticism and knock on TikTok that I'm hearing is that the messaging, particularly to our youth, is insidious. And they're trying to be, uh, you know, pro propagandize the American youth um, uh, through the use of TikTok. We're going to watch what happens there. There's a court case for Donald Trump in New York. Uh, we've said it's not the worst one. The worst one or the most serious for the past, former president is the Georgia case consensus from everybody I'm talking about. Dan, give me one minute on what you mm -hmm. think is going on there and what's the president, former president doing? Look, the former president, he is facing this jeopardy from this New York case, but it's a minor case. It's a, a misdemeanor that's been promoted to a felony, as his uh, proponents will say. It's one of the weaker cases. He's using this to conflate a lot of the legal cases he faces into one cabal of prosecutors rather than letting the the stronger cases start to stand out he's muddying the waters painting all of his legal challenges with the same brushes perhaps so the basically by the time him. we get to the serious georgia case all of his uh, supporters are just going to be hearing oh there they go again exactly uh, there they go again. They're doing it again in Georgia. Same thing. We already know that it's nonsense in New York and we're not going to pay attention. And look, I think even where he is a little more insightful, it's a warning. Look, the New York Police Department's bigger than the Army of Canada. I, I think they can handle what goes on in New York City. But this is a warning to a, a Cobb County or Georgia prosecutor uh, about what they could also face down there, too. I don't think they can handle what's going on in New York City. I think the crime is absolutely out of control in New York City. Uh, as it is in most major cities around the country. We, you know, went through our whole defunding the police thing. Police are not showing up for work. And all of a sudden, you know, crime is 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 running rampant. Right. I think it's going to be a big issue for this. Well, day day crime. I still think they could handle a, a major riot or disturbance, though. They would keep that under control. They'll keep that under control. That's good to know, certainly uh, in New York. And we please know uh, all first responders, you have the full support of the forecast and our gratitude for putting your lives in harm's way every day to look out for the yep. rest of us. Finally, Dan, as we look to the summit in uh, Moscow with Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, that seemed like a lot of show and no dough. All mm -hmm. talk, you know, all hat and no cattle. What did you think? I got one minute, Dan. Putin wanted far more out of it. But look, Moscow is now the junior partner to China on a lot of this. And Xi Jinping was less in the mood to make a deal with Putin than to elevate his stature. Look, he's being seen now as a global leader. That's what he wants to be seen as. China brokered a peace deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia as well. He wants to be seen, uh, I think, particularly by the Europeans as a partner for peace as this war goes on. Xi Jinping is supposed to be calling uh, Zelensky uh, here in the next day or so, if not today, to try to suggest some peace deal. What do you expect to happen there? I think the problem is that the Chinese proposal still doesn't do enough to pull the Russians back. Uh, it's the start of a dialogue, but I don't think it moves anything too quickly. Finally, we're at this point where it still looks like Russia's not even winning this new offensive on the uh, on the eastern front, really, of this war with Ukraine. Uh, and 
things may be stalling a bit, but it looks like this latest uh, latest volley is is stalling again. Is there any way Putin wins this war? Uh, World War One with modern weaponry right now. Uh, that's what it looks like. Question is, yeah. is there any I don't see a way to win it that way. No, doesn't happen. All right. Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency in Congress. Thank you so much. We're going to be back with the great, the famous, the wonderful, the insightful, the all-seeing, the all-knowing, Jack Perugian the Magnificent. When we come back on the Farcast, please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc., Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. We appreciate you listening into the podcast this week. And now to introduce this week's special guest, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining me now, as promised, the great, the omniscient, the all-powerful wizard, Jack Perugian, coming to us from Chicago. And uh, Jack is the chairman of Global Smart Commodity Group. He was CEO of Commerce Bank. He was on the board of the CME, which is the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, one of the most experienced and wisest voices we ever get to talk to on the Farcast. Welcome back, Jack. Uh, Michael, I wish my relatives could hear you actually introduce me every now and then. It would make me feel good, but that's... <laughs> we'll share you. the Thank link, Jack. Much. That's, that's what <laughs> we want everybody to do, share the link. There you go. <laughs> you know, uh, Jack, there's a great article today in the Washington Post uh, that says... Think you could land a plane in an emergency? Here's why you can't. And it goes on to describe what it takes to land an airplane in an emergency. And then it goes to a survey. And I love this, Jack. There's a survey of whether uh, you think you could actually land a plane uh, in an emergency. Half of the men who responded were confident they could do it. Only 20% of the women who responded were confident they could do it. My favorite line, though, Jack, was, alas, ego is not a license to fly. Wow. Alas, ego. Now, I, I feel that way about running banks. I feel that way about being chairman of the Fed. I feel that way about a lot of things that are getting widely criticized and hated in America today. Today, hey, Jack, we hate the banks now. All, oh, all the banks are bad. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How did the banks suddenly become bad? Well, because, well, first of all, let, let's separate the good banks from the bad banks. Good banks are banks that actually know how to hedge out interest rate exposure. All right. They do it properly. They've been doing it for forever, for decades. Ever since derivatives were created, the credit markets exploded. 
And look, I, as as the the former president of Commerce Futures, I saw Frankfurt. Uh, there was a, there was a trading desk that was the size of a football field. Why? Yeah. Because banks are not there to take risk. They transfer risk. They lock things in. Here's the way the auction process, for those that, that aren't familiar, and I know, Michael, you are, but for those that aren't familiar with this process, when, when the government puts out this paper, what happens is you have these primary dealers bid on it. When they bid on it, if they take it themselves, they immediately lock in a derivative gain against that paper, whether it be a strip, a two-year note, whatever the case might be. And that's the way it's done. Now, Jack, if you're let not me stop you for a second. Let me stop you for just one second. What Jack's getting to for 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 dear listeners who, who might might have missed that is when a bank takes a big position and takes in perhaps hundreds of millions, maybe even a billion dollars, even if it's United States treasuries, they're going to take in something that will move down as quickly as that thing moves up and moves up as quickly as that thing moves down, and they're going to balance it they're gonna balance it. If they were a bookie, okay, they would take a $20 bet on both teams, both teams, right? They're just not gonna lose any money. And what are they gonna do? They're gonna take the VIG. That's what that's what banks do. They're gonna take- hey, hey, You know, I, I don't think I could have described- I could not have described it any better, Michael. I got to tell you, that, that is such a good way to put it, because that is precisely what the banks do now. And that's so, their so, job. That's what they're supposed to do, not take risk and not take the bets. Exactly. They're not going to take the Cowboys and say, we like the Cowboys now. They don't give a damn who wins. They just want their feet. So now, if you don't do that, which is what what happened at SVB uh, and and what happened at Signature, if you don't do that, what happens is you're either greedy because you're trying to get more yield on what you've got in front of you, all right, or you're incompetent. It's one of those two. It's that simple. So so let's SVB struck me as incompetent. They have to be. Quite frankly, for them to get into this situation means that they were searching for yield. They did not put their hedges on. Why? Because they were greedy. They did not put on the or or. And when they started losing, they didn't want to take the hit and the loss and it continued to compound. But what if you're on the audit committee or what if you're on the risk committee of that bank, of that board? You're so right. You're you're, here too and culpable. Well, remember what happens at these board meetings. Look, I did it. You sit there and you calculate what happens to your position if the interest rates go up 1%, yes. 2%, 3%. You're going through your Six Sigma. They right? do it's that math exercise. at every board meeting. Do they not do yes. that math at every board meeting? Absolutely. And it should okay. be done. And so for a bank not to do that is absolutely incompetent. So, you know, for me, and he, now here's a little dear, dirty secret of what just happened, by the way, over the course of the last week. When the Fed opened up that window and said, you know what, we're just going to buy everything back at par for those that need it. You had all these institutions that had tens of billions of dollars in derivatives on against that paper that ran to cover those shorts. And what happened in the market? We saw a record day in the two year on through. All that action was directly tied to all of those derivatives and those hedges being removed with a $300 billion bonanza that was given to them at the Fed window. You know, the Elizabeth Warrens and the Bernie Sanders of the world, you know, don't even talk about this. This is what they should be angry about, believe it or not. This is of course it is. You know, of it's, course it's, it is. Of it's, course it is. 
But, but nobody nobody understands market structure, Michael, and nobody understands that that is inflationary. And, and I, I was trying to explain this, that that is a stealth quantitative easing, all right? Whether we like it or not, it's a gift of $300 billion to the largest institutions in the world. Uh, it, it is a gift on that side, and yet uh, you don't expect them to loosen their lending standards any, do you, Jack? I mean, no. on those. And the community banks are still going to tighten theirs. The regional banks still tighten their lending standards. So while that looks like an easing and will benefit probably shareholders and add some liquidity there, you don't expect them to lo loosen their lending standards. And there's still going to be an overall tightening effect. Do you agree with that or not? I absolutely do. Okay. In fact, I'd even go as far as to say that that is also going to lead us to the next problem, which is commercial real estate. All well, right, this is a huge problem. Before you do that, I just want to jump in with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. I hear lots of criticism uh, about uh, people who come up and tell me and they, they will say, what, I listen to Elizabeth Warren. Is she just stupid? Why does she say things like that? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me assure you of a couple of things. I don't care if you agree or disagree with Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is one smart, smart human being. This is a very brilliant person. And if you think that what she, she is saying doesn't make sense, it might not make sense to you empirically, but I assure you, it makes sense politically. She is one of the most deft, competent, strategic politicians out there. And whenever I say that about a politician, I always want to throw in dangerous. Uh, and that's not partisan. That's just I don't want any politician to be that deft and strategically capable. Uh, Bernie Sanders, on the other hand, is very bright, but he's very idealistic and he'll pursue his ideals um, before he'll pursue uh, the facts or the longer term data. He, he's very idealistic. I think he's probably a very good person. I think he's probably a very good human being. I think Jimmy Carter was one of the best human beings who was ever was president of the United States. I just think he was one of the worst presidents we've ever had, but uh, practically. Anyway, Jack, let's let's move. Let's let's move on. Uh, I just wanted to give a little inside Washington baseball there. No, I, in fact, I like it. I had the same experience with uh, Senator Paul Simon, who I became very friendly with when he was on our board. And uh, here's a guy that after getting to know him, I had turned to him one day and he was very insistent on me calling him Paul instead of Senator. And right. he said, and I said, I said, Paul, I got to tell you something, you know, after having gotten to know you, uh, I, I, I want you to know that I never voted for you. And, and, you know, having never voted for you and now getting to know you, I regret that. Uh, and he turned to me and he goes, that could be one of the most sincere things anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I like but, but, it, but it was the truth. You know, here was a guy that I had gotten to know and I thought to myself, man, this is a real good man, the son of a preacher. Uh, you know, everything he was doing was sincere. And I felt guilty for not voting for him after getting to know him. Isn't that a kind of one of those wonderful, nice things to say that really isn't necessarily a nice thing to see, say that might, you know, that I, I was in a conversation with a, the executives of a board on which I serve and I and I delivered a kind of a harsh message. And they immediately said, the CEO said, well, Michael, I appreciate your candor. And I thought, no, you don't. Nobody ever appreciates my candor. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a good way of saying, you know what? We didn't like what you were saying. <laughs> we didn't like what you were saying at all. Yeah. Uh, well, that sounded very sincere. That's one of the very sincerest things, which is not necessarily a... Con okay. That's, Jack, what does it mean for the banking system? What did the Fed do yesterday and what's your outlook? You know what? The Fed did what they had to do. If they didn't raise, they would have lost credibility. It's as simple yes. as that. And, and, you know, and the fact that he's come out and said that they're not going to cut is very clear, at least to the marketplace. Right Now, here's my only concern. The bond market is telling us a whole different story. And you and I know that the bond market is always the smart bond guy. Bond market's the right. 
You know, yeah. they're they're always the smart guy in the room, and they're telling us that we're heading for a bit of a problem. You know, this yield curve inversions continues to be there. It continues to nag on us. And, and you know, this whole situation with, you know, are we going to insure deposits? Are we not going to insure deposits is going to cause havoc in these mid-sized banks. You know, you and, and why I- Why should we insure all deposits? Why isn't it, why doesn't risk ever stay with the individual anymore? I mean, why are we not responsible for choosing a good, safe financial institution and holding that institution accountable? Why does the government have to back up everything? This uh, whole thing just infuriates me. It should infuriate. Look, it's one of those things that is, to me, anti-capitalism. It is. And, it's and, anti-American. And, and down the road, this this intervention that they're doing, and it's been coordinated between the Federal Reserve and the Treasury over the course of the last 15 years, from, from the minute we took the rates down to zero on the way through to now. You know, is going in hindsight. We're going to look back on this period, Michael, as a time where capitalism was injured, yes. and and I think that we're going to find out in the next couple of years how bad those injuries are, because I think the market's going to tell us, quite frankly, how bad and how how much we could sustain. Yeah, I I, th- I I think you're right, Jack. I think you're absolutely right. So Wells Fargo says. Uh, one more quarter of a point hike, they think in May, fine, and then pause. And then recession in the third quarter is their call. You know, I've, I've, I've likened what monetary policy does to planting and farming. You, you, you plow, you plant, you water, and you wait. And you see whether you have a good crop or a bad crop and whether you did it right. And, and then you have to look, and when, it, when it's all over and done, you still have to check the price of corn to see if it was worth it all. But right now, the Fed has done a lot of planting. And we haven't had time for growing and you can't rush the growing process. And all of those hikes in the fall, everybody who's as old as Jack and I will tell you that it's 12 months minimum until you see the effect of an intervention show up into the data. So uh, things are still going to continue to slow. And we've got this community bank tightening of standards. It looks like it makes sense. We'll have this recession in the third quarter somewhere in there. But this recession's always been six months away for the last two years, Jack. What's going yeah. on? Well, start to pay attention to certain things, Michael. And I would tell the listeners to pay attention to, for example, office buildings being handed back to banks. All right. We're going to be commercial seeing real estate. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to see bank owned commercial real estate become a huge issue over the course. We've of talked the about that for the past couple of months here on the forecast. Uh, there's a 37 percent, 38 percent occupancy of office space right now. It's only 7 percent for the GSA in Washington. And I'm hearing there are going to be serious defaults on some of these on some of these commercial real estate office, particularly office loans. Well, remember, we haven't started even to reset those loans yet. Yeah, they're all no. going to start coming due in another few months. So so this is something that's going to probably spiral a little bit. The real question is if, if it can be contained and how it'll be contained. You know, every time the Fed goes to their toolbox, as they call it, I start to get worried, you know, only because you know that down the road there's going to be an issue. Yeah, there's there's always a, a, a the cause and effect for everything that they do. And and we're starting to see it. So look, for, for example, look, all of this free money, that had been out there, and you and I had been talking about it for years. Sure, we did. That that drove you know valuations to ridiculous levels. That created meme stocks and NFTs and all some of these ridiculous things. You know, in my mind, are all now coming to to roost. You know, we're seeing it. You know, now as yeah. money is no longer free, all right. You, you realize that you know an unproductive investment is exactly that an unproductive investment. You know, well, so so that's really what the realization. We're not out of the woods yet, Jack. And- 
caution is still warranted. And, and just because you want it to be over doesn't make it over. We have not yet gone through the dark valley, ladies and gentlemen, as bad as this is felt. We're not, I'm sorry, I don't think we're there yet. And I'm, I'm giving you, I'm telling you what I've seen after 35 years of doing this successfully. I've done this successfully for 35 years. And so has Jack Berugian. So that's Barr's opinion. What's Berugian's opinion? Yours has been even, I mean, we're the, Jack and I are the same age. Yeah, well, I, I'm, 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 you know, I've been negative on this market. I have been for a while, you know, just as I didn't want to fight the Fed on the way up. I don't want to fight them on the way down. Uh, you know, I mean, look, they're, they're, they're sending some clear signals. I feel, and here's the analogy that I'll use. I feel as if I'm in a car that's racing at 70 or 80 miles an hour, but I see a big wall in front of me. The question is whether I can get out of that car before the wall hits, you know, before the car hits the wall. I, I, that's how I feel, you know, emotionally. But but I will say one thing about what you just said, and it's very important. You know, one of the things that I was always taught was you know, invest in the market that you have, not in the one that you want. Yes. Right? And and I think, you know, what you just said is so very important. Look, there's always going to be opportunity out there, even if yes. it's to protect yourself. Uh, but but you need to be able to do that. And and I, I've got a feeling within these next, say, six to eight months, we're going to find some real opportunity, uh, you know, as we as we see other people panic. Uh, and as you and I know that that's when we see the, the Haynes bottoms uh, put in and, and you and I can probably jump in with both feet. He's talking about our buddy Mark Haynes uh, from CNBC, who passed away some years ago, called the bottom in 2009. I mean, almost to the day. It was a, it was remarkable. Yeah. Uh, Jack, uh, you're, tell us uh, where you are investing some advice for Fred and Ethel. And then, uh, oh, and I should tell, you know, uh, Jack is uh, chairman of the Global Smart Commodity Group. Uh, he invests in a number of different things. I will tell you, if you are, uh, working with Jack on any of these professional things. I played golf with Jack uh, last month when he was here in Naples. Jack is concentrating on all of his business efforts, I can assure you, after having seen him play golf, okay? <laughs> you know what? First you of all- You will not find better company on the golf course, but- uh, he's working awful hard, folks. I, well, I, I do want to thank you for putting up with a couple of hackers uh, from, from the floor of the exchange. That was, <laughs> you know what? That, that was great. But no, Michael, uh, you know, like I say, you know, I think what we have to do right now is be a little defensive. There are opportunities. Yes. What I would look for are fortress balance sheets, but that's the type of stock that, that's still got a lot of cash on hand. I want to know who's going to be able to weather the storm. Yep. Uh, and, and that's really what you want to do. You want to be able to weather the storm. You see it coming. There are black clouds on the horizon. The question is, what do you do? Because it, you can't just jump into cash. Uh, you know what I mean? That's not that's not really an alternative. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe stagger some bonds in or whatever the case is. But but I'm I'm, I'm concerned. I'm, I'm very defensive over the course of these next few months. Uh, I think uh, it makes sense. And it always makes sense to listen to Jack Berugian. Jack, thank you so much for being with us. This is great. I always learn so much whenever you're on. And happy birthday, Jack. Oh, well, thank you. And happy birthday to you, which is coming up soon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We were always we're already harassing uh, Paul Kari this morning and Ron and Sana's birthdays in the next couple of days, too. We're all the same age. Uh, uh, and, you know, and, and, and none of us will be on CNBC anymore. Eventually, There you go. <laughs> well, 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 we'll see. Ron and Sana's got a better shot than the rest of us, and they're still keeping me on on a lingering basis. All right. That's it for another forecast where we cover Wall Street. Washington and the world trying to bring you experts and insights as to how we can think about our world, understand it better, 
and do better with our investments, understand them better. Uh, we hope this has helped as we do every week. We promise we'll be back next week doing the best we can to help you figure it out. From Naples, Florida, for Harry Jennings, my producer, and all of us at the Farcast, we wish you a happy weekend, wonderful week of investing. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Michael Farr. That's a wrap for this episode of the Farcast. Thanks to our guest, Kenny Polcari, Dan Mahaffey, and special guest, Jack Perugian. And thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy making it for you every week. Please share us with friends and colleagues. Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and all major podcast platforms. We love hearing from you every week, and you can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. We'd like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of Hightower Advisors or Far Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Hightower Advisors, Far Miller in Washington, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington. Please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care. Stay safe and stay healthy. Join us as we continue Season 6 in April with scheduled guest Dana Peterson, Chief Economist of the Conference Board, fan favorite Liz Young from SoFi, and more. Go beyond the headlines each week with the Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Far Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Far Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for the statements or errors or omissions or results obtained for the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Far Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax or legal advice. 
Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.